Still getting used to this 5 p.m. service time. Feel like I've usually I uh, obviously we come to church or I preach and then just kind of chill and relax. Like I've already had a whole day. I've played pickleball today. Just in case anybody was curious. Um, yeah, I did win a good bit. I know none of y'all were curious about that, but it did work out that way. So um, yeah, so here we are. I'm sorry, I'm going to just do this real quick. Um, and uh, Merry Christmas. This is exciting. This is the last Sunday of uh, Advent before we celebrate Christmas. I know my kids, are y'all, are kids, are y'all excited about Christmas? Yeah. We, I just think about all of the, even the words we've kind of focused on during this series of like longing and anticipation and how many of you kids are anticipating Christmas? How many of you kids have asked your mom or dad how many days until Christmas? How many kids have asked Alexa how many days until Christmas? Yeah, that's what happens at my house. It's they don't ask me anymore. There's, there's a constant kind of, uh, all my kids know their birthdays. So they're like, Alexa, how many days until March 30th? That's what Nate's always asking. Um, and she says, and then he forgets. And he asks again the next day. Um, but here we are. We're coming upon uh, this time where we get to, it's just a, a sweet uh, part of uh, the year where we get to embrace all that God has for us um, through Advent and through celebrating Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. So for those of you that are here, so so thankful that you've joined us in person. For those of you online, so thankful y'all are tuning in on your Sunday night. Um, and we're excited to get to celebrate uh, all that God has for us uh, this evening. Uh, I wanted to take even a moment real quick. There's no announcements or anything. Uh, this morning, but I just wanted to take a moment, uh, really even just to reiterate uh, what we are about as a church. Um, And and partly it's, man, there's so many things, I don't know if you've noticed, but so many things going on in our culture, like a couple of hot button issues, uh, maybe you've heard, um, and uh, there's just all kinds of things going on. And there'll be times where it's really appropriate for us or even for me to, to speak to some of those things. There's some of those things, to be honest with you, sometimes there's so many things going on, it's just like my head's spinning to even know how to keep up with it. Because uh, before, I, you know, I even wrap my mind around one thing, we're on to a whole nother uh, thing that's maybe even completely unrelated. Uh, and so just as a church, I thought it'd be helpful for us just to remember, uh, as we planted this new church in, in North Fort Worth, uh, in the midst of the culture, in the midst of all these things that are going on, sometimes uh, as we navigate them, sometimes in spite them, that we want to be a church uh, that is about God's glory up here in North Fort Worth, that, that we're not a church that is uh, about getting as big as we could possibly get. We're not a church that's about being as small as we could possibly be. Uh, our mission statement, as many of you know, is that we want to enjoy God, make disciples, uh, and plant churches. And so I reiterate that just because, again, in the midst of all that's going on in our culture, we never want to be sidetracked from any of that. And, and if uh, we feel the Spirit leading us to speak into our culture in any ways, it's for those ends that we believe that, that God has created every person that's ever been born, uh, no matter what ethnicity, no matter what uh, original country you're from, uh, no matter your Uh, abilities or not, no matter any of that, we believe that everybody is created in the image of God and that God has made you to enjoy him. Um, And and so we, we, that's why it's in our mission statement that we desire to to be a people 
that enjoy God and invite people in uh, to that joy. And that we believe that God's called us uh, to make disciples in that way. So we want to be about the, the, the activity of us as a church want, want to be about uh, making disciples. And that comes through the proclamation of God's word to non-Christians, through preaching, through casual conversations, uh, through in whatever way the Lord will allow and the Spirit leads. And that also comes from us desiring as Christians for the gospel to wash over every aspect of our life. Uh, that, that's what we desire in making disciples uh, of Jesus. And we believe all of that is done uh, through God's church. And that's why we believe in planting churches. That's why we were planted. And that's why we believe in planting churches locally and globally as much as the Lord will allow, that we get to see his work multiplied uh, where, wherever we get to be uh, a part of it. Um, and so I, I think it's important in, in, in moments, you know, when there's so much going on in the news and in our culture, which, uh, you know, obviously 2020 is about to end. But, you know, we, 2021, does, it doesn't reset, you know? Like we don't, like we, we, some of us maybe are looking to 2021 with a little more anticipation than we're, we should because there's no magic thing that happens uh, at the stroke of midnight in that, in that way. And so uh, regardless of what's going on, we want to be a people that have uh, this kind of focus. And so if you've stumbled upon to Northbrook, again, you're online or you're here and, and that uh, mission is something that you are excited about, then this would be uh, a great fit for you. Or if you have questions, we'd love to talk about who God is and what he's doing uh, through this new uh, little church. And so feel free to reach out um, and ask any of that. And so again, as we think about... Um, ending our Advent series through the book of Nehemiah, we've been talking about uh, all kinds of these words that kind of capture this season so well. Uh, longing, waiting, uh, anticipation. Uh, but, but even as this last Sunday uh, is upon us, I want to take a peek kind of past Christmas uh, and, and really highlight another reality of this season. Um, the reality is after Christmas Day and all of our gifts have been opened, the newness of them has worn off. And maybe it's that day or, or maybe it's a week or two later. But at some point, you realize that just your gifts, maybe even that one gift that you really wanted, didn't quite live up to your expectations. The reality is whatever gift we're most excited about will likely bring some level of disappointment. I think about this every time I get a new phone because I'm thinking, man, I got a new phone and they can do so many things. And I get it and I'm like, I'm so excited about it. And then I realize it can maybe do a lot of things, but I can only do a very limited amount of things. And so it's like, it doesn't do all that I would hope it to do. It's like, man, this is so much like my last phone. Um, but uh, and I just have that kind of uh, disappointment. Um, I think about even the gift I'm getting this year that I already know about, um, which I talked Ginger into getting me, uh, which is uh, uh, Roomba. Uh, a, a vacuum that I, like, I've been trying to talk her into getting one of these for a long time, and she just won't. And I'm like, I'm getting it for Christmas. You can't argue with that. It's mine. I'll, I'm, it's my gift. So what are you going to do? And uh, I got it. But I know that. Uh, as excited as I am about that, as weird as that sounds, Jason was, at, Jason was guessing what it was going to be. You're never going to get it, were you? Yeah. Uh, and so as, as weird as that is that I'm excited about this little automatic uh, vacuum cleaner, uh, I know it's not going to do all I want it to do. I know it's going to, especially since I didn't buy the $1,000 one, I bought like a few levels down from that. Um, it's going to get stuck in places I don't want it to get stuck. 
it's, it's, it's going to need a lot of help, and it's, it's going to most likely break before I want it to, and there's just some level of disappointment. And so disappointment is just one of those things that comes uh, with this season as we uh, even maybe get all the things we would hope we get. Uh, there is disappointment. Here's a, here's a deeper example. Uh, I'm listening to this book uh, on Audible right now. It's called Talking Back to Purity Culture. Uh, it's a really great book. You, you should get it and read it if you, if you listen to books or read books. It's, it's really helpful. Uh, but the, uh, this is kind of a little separate aside from the main theme of the book. But Rachel Joy Welcher, the, the author, she speaks to her personal story. And she talks about how her and her current husband, who have both been previously married, he is a widower, his wife, previous wife died of cancer, and she was left by her husband when he abandoned her and the Christian faith. Um, and, and so they, they both come into this new marriage together with those realities. And she talks about how even that she is the happiest she's ever been in her life and, and, and incredibly happy in her new marriage and with uh, the husband that she's had for a bit now, that there is an ever-present ache for both of them as the reality of rejection and loss that they have experienced has shaped them dramatically. There's just a reality to even the, the sweetness of the good gift that God has provided for them. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't answer all of the aches and longings and disappointment in their life. And so even the gifts we get that we enjoy, again, uh, and, and they live up to our anticipation. The ones that like, you, it just does everything you'd hope it would do. There's still disappointment you have in your life that has nothing to do with that gift, that that gift could never answer. Uh, that's just a universal reality that, that shows up, obviously, outside of even this Christmas season. Uh, but it shows that we're a people that can actually feel both joy and sorrow, grief and gladness, longing and fulfillment, that those are not uh, mutually exclusive things as much as we want them to be, as much as we want to just be completely happy and not sad at all, as much as we want to be completely content and not waiting or longing for anything. The reality is the more life you live, the more that you know that almost always both of those things are kind of going on uh, in the midst of our lives. And so I, this is a long intro to start like this because really Nehemiah 13, we are just going to see incredible disappointment. Right? We've been using this book of the Bible to kind of help us uh, focus on this Advent season. And, and it's going to kind of usher us into looking upon how God answers uh, the disappointment of the Old Testament through the Christmas story. But, but before we get there, we have to wrestle with Nehemiah 13. We have to come to grips with uh, this disappointing end uh, to the Old Testament. Just to remind you, this is, these are the last words of the Old Testament. This is the last bit of the Old Testament narrative of God's people in the Old Testament is the book of Nehemiah. And, and we're going to see him account encounter disappointment after disappointment. And so let's actually read. If you look in Nehemiah 13, go ahead and turn there. We're going to start in verse 4, and we'll go through all of this chapter pretty quickly so we can get along to uh, some of the other scripture that we're going to dwell upon today. But I'm going to start by just reading chapter uh, 13, verses 4 through 9. So if you want to go ahead and stand in honor of reading God's word. Nehemiah 13 starting in verse 4 through verse 9. 
Now before this, Eliashib, the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levite singers and gatekeepers and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time I asked for leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and I cleansed the chamber, and I, I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So from where we left off in chapter 9, Nehemiah had left Jerusalem for a bit. Uh, he went back to the palace. It's really unclear exactly how long he was gone. It's probably around 12 years, actually. Um, and it actually seems as though Nehemiah was not planning necessarily on coming back because one, he says he had to take, he had to ask the king if he could come back. And two, just Eliashib's actions show that he probably didn't anticipate Nehemiah uh, coming back based on some of the decisions uh, he had made. Um, and so the temple that you, we could see was uh, rebuilt under Zerubbabel is now being defiled by people that actually opposed Nehemiah from the very beginning. So I don't know if you recognize uh, Tobiah's name, but if you think back to Nehemiah 4.3, I'll read it for us. This is Tobiah. He shows up on the scene. And I don't know if you remember this, but he like, it was like the dad joke that I pointed out of the Bible. Where he said, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So that was Tobiah's, Tobiah's big moment in the Bible. And that's what he did with it. Um, but the reality is that the, the very people that were mocking Nehemiah's work, mocking the work of God, are, are, are people that have been let into uh, some of the holiest places of uh, where God's people uh, should, not, should not be. And, and I, I think about even Nehemiah coming back on the scene. I could just imagine the panic in Eliashib's mind and heart and face as he realized Nehemiah is coming back and he realized uh, what he's done. And we just see this again and again. Kind of what we've seen right here is we see Nehemiah come back on the scene. We see him encounter some kind of really pretty significant atrocity, and then we see him uh, act. And this time he's throwing furniture uh, out in front, uh, quite the scene. But then if we just keep reading on, there's just, it just keeps going on like this. In verse 10, it says, I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasures over the storehouses Shalimai, Shalimai the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites, and as their assistant, Hanan, the son of Zachar, son of Mataniah. For they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. And then we see Nehemiah just... Uh, he's just a praying man, and he goes to God in verse 14. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I've done for the house of my God and for his service. So again, not only did they let Tobiah move in, 
but they stopped giving to the temple so the Levites were not able to perform the responsibilities. They had to go do their own work to make a living. And then it goes on. Verse 15, in those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you were doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you're bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load may be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then, the, then there's another issue, though, still. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. So he shut down the gates, but now they're just hanging out outside. But I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? They were using this wall for this unholy thing now. If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. Nehemiah does not mess around, if you, if you haven't figured that out. I will lay hands on you. Um, then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come in. Oh, I'm sorry. Why you lodge up this while? From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. So that threat seemed to work. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. And so what we're seeing here is the Sabbath day, again, was dishonored and not held as he corrected uh, and the, the walls were even, uh, as he desired for them to be, and the walls were even used to even help tame the greed of Israel as opposed to protect them from uh, their enemies. That they were using the walls, like they, he shut everybody out, and then they were using the walls to continue to trade on the Sabbath. And then uh, moving on, verse 23. In those days, another issue, in those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Amnon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I'm just going to read that again, just in case you missed it. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. So we're going to start this new ministry. Uh, <laughs> sorry. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying... You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, the king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Israel, Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? Women, And this is just a picture of Israel viewing the worship of other gods flippantly. And even we see their kids paying the price. And then continuing to the end of chapter 13. And one of the sons of Jehodiah, Jehoda, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. He was the other guy that was make, mocking them in the beginning. Therefore, I chased him from me. 
And then another prayer. Remember them, oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. And then I, I almost read these last verses as just an exasperated Nehemiah. Thus I cleanse them from everything foreign. I established the duties of the priest and the Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. And this, this last prayer that we hear in, the, in this book, remember me, oh my God, for good. Like, like Nehemiah just, I mean, I, I read it all at once, kind of without pausing, because we just get this picture of this guy coming back on the scene. And if you remember when we left it in chapter 9 and 10, it was kind of like the picture of revival. Like God's word went out, it was preached, people were convicted, people repented. And then now Nehemiah comes back on the scene. And he's, he's just frantically running around trying to correct and manage and maintain and make right everything that has gone horribly wrong. And this is what we see Nehemiah doing. Nehemiah is a great picture of a, a faithful Israelite with a genuine love for God and wanting good and flourishing for God's people. Um, yet in all of his incredible efforts and incredible success, like Nehemiah experienced a ton of his success. If, if you have a ministry of Nehemiah's life, you, you are encouraged, but we all see that it, that it ends and, and kind of leaves us disappointed. It ends in disappointment. And it's really kind of understandable. Again, because the last time we, we saw revival basically break out. And then one of the things that we see is actually in chapter 10, is they actually, after uh, the words preached, they repent and confess, and then they actually enter into a covenant again. God's people, it's the last covenant we see uh, in the Old Testament. In chapter 10, it talks about them entering into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. That's what they say. That was given to them by the servant uh, Moses and to observe all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord and his rules and his statutes. And listen to the things that they say they're gonna do. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or to take their daughters for our sons. And, if the, and then they say this, and if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. And then they also say, we'll also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. And so what we see just in one moment of a chapter, uh, a pretty small time frame, the, the ma each major movement of this book is basically just kind of unraveled. Uh, they promised to obey God's word and they failed. They promised to not marry uh, foreigners so they don't go after their gods. And again, that just so if you weren't here for those last time, marrying foreigners is not about marrying foreigners as much as it's about not worshiping other gods besides Yahweh. That's always the, the, what God is about in uh, those moments. But then again, they failed. They promised to keep the Sabbath and they failed. They promised to give uh, to the temple and the temple servants and they failed. If you think of all the work under Zerubbabel to, to rebuild uh, the temple and then the temple is desecrated. If you think of all the miraculous work under uh, Nehemiah to rebuild the walls and the walls were used for unholy means. If you think of all the work under Ezra to restore the people to God's word and now God's word uh, is not being held. And so we see that the good that had been done by these exiles 
was not the fullness of God's promise to his people. And, and we know the rest of the story, but again, if you remember, they don't know any other story besides their own. They don't have a future history book. They just have the past history book. And so they know the prophets and they know the Old Testament and they think, man, maybe this is it. Maybe this is when God, God is going to restore his messianic people. Maybe we're the generation that is actually going to get this covenant thing right. Maybe we're the people that are actually going to be, be able to obey, although our uh, generations before have not been able uh, to do that. Uh, but the disappointing conclusion of Nehemiah clearly shows that this didn't happen. And here, Nehemiah joins the whole of the whole Old Testament in acknowledging that humanity is destined to be cursed. It said that they entered into a curse and an oath, which is this, their way of reiterating what the Old Testament covenants were about, was that obedience was rewarded with blessing and disobedience was uh, rewarded with consequences that they're reaping even now. And, and what we see here is they add themselves to the long list of generations that were not able to keep the very covenant that they just made. And the Old Testament here is for many reasons, but, but, but one clear purpose is to show through generation after generation over thousands of years that God's people are in need of something outside of themselves if they are to be saved. That, that, that we cannot get it done. This is the disappointing end to Nehemiah, but in a very real way, it is good news for us. And, and this is the context in which we come to Christmas. The, the, this deep longing and darkness that, that the light of Christ breaks into. And this is the reality that Christmas is about God's answer to this reality. His answer to the groaning of the Old Testament people. And so I think often, I mean, what we kind of move past is we want to acknowledge the beauty of Christmas. But before we acknowledge the fullness and beauty of God's answer, we need to acknowledge the disappointment these exiles faced, the longing of Nehemiah and God's faithful people in the Old Testament, and the real disappointment uh, and longing that they experienced. And here's the other thing, the real disappointment and longing in our own lives. The reality of Christmas answers our groaning and our disappointment uh, as well. So here in a moment, we're actually going to, uh, along with this theme, is we're going to sing a song that we've used each week of Advent. And it's called, Come All You Unfaithful. And, and listen to how they put out a video of this song when, they, when it, it just released. It's a brand new song. And, and in the video... Um, they, uh, they, they set it up like this. It says, this video contains people. It's just a video of people listening to the song, processing, oh, come all you unfaithful through the lens of their own experience. A stillborn child, a strained marriage, feelings of shame, legalism, loss, loneliness, or simply having a heart that weeps with those who weep. We think seeing their responses as, the song, as they hear the song communicates even more clearly that Jesus wasn't born for people who have it all together. He was born for those who have nothing. And so the message of Nehemiah is 
God is good even in the midst of disappointment. That's the message of Nehemiah. But the message of Christmas is God has answered our disappointment. The, the, the disappointment in our own hearts, in our own lives. We, we, we come to Christmas and we celebrate it, but so often we leave detached from that celebration the, the deep longings of our very soul. And so, and so as we consider uh, this Jesus, as we consider his coming, as we consider his invitation to us to, to come to him, as we consider the, the thousands of generations of a desire and longing of God's people, and that Jesus was sufficient to answer that, but yet sometimes we don't think he's sufficient to answer the cries that are maybe even the ordinary mundane cries of our heart, the nagging frustrations that we face every day, or the big disappointments that we have in our life. Those ones from the past, those ones looming over us, those ones that beckon us to come and dwell and stay there and feel shame, feel sadness. Sometimes we, we miss out on the reality that Christmas, the message of this Jesus coming to dwell amongst us, says something in those spaces. And, and so as we kind of face the disappointment of Nehemiah, as we maybe even take a moment to consider their own disappointment in our own lives. So as we kind of turn to, to dwell upon and consider and think about the good news of Christmas, uh, as we go to that joy, may it be a joy that we find in those places in our life. May it be a joy that we long for and seek to speak into those places of our life that our joy wouldn't be separate from our actual experience, but it'd be present and felt in the midst of all that we are experiencing.